I love it. Uh, it's good to see everybody this morning. So uh, so thankful you're here. One announcement I forgot I want to uh, mention before we get going too far is uh, we are really trying to close up the directory. And so if you are here this morning and you have not had your picture made and you don't have to be a member at all, that's not a qualification. If this is what you call your home church, we want you to be in it and a part of it. Joel Carver, who's been taking some of these shots for us, is going to be taking pictures again today. He brought his camera, right? Good deal. All right, he's giving me the thumbs up, so everything's good. Uh, please see him out in the lobby, and uh, he'll take your picture. This is the last week we really want to do this, so please, 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 please take your... Because <laughs> you hadn't taken your picture yet. <laughs> uh, if you haven't had your picture made, please. Uh, there are conflicts in schedules. It, you know, planning that far ahead as we did is hard. But if you haven't had it made, please, please have it made. Uh, we uh, we want to go ahead and get this thing wrapped up because the sooner we submit everything, the sooner we get the books. So, and we are really looking forward to those. Um, before we get started into our sermon this morning, uh, let us, as 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 we always do, not out of monotony but out of necessity, I believe, pray and ask God's blessing to be over it, shall we? Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning and giving us this moment to rejoice in you and in your truth with your people. We thank you, Lord, for your word that has life-saving and life-giving power. Lord, through this word, we know that we come to the faith, for faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, I thank you for those who have been saved for the, by the word, through your words that lead us through, through to, to our redemption in you. Father, I thank you for that word that called us initially to, to beckon as you do unto your voice to, to come to know you, Lord, as Savior and Master and Ruler. Lord, that we might live a blessed life because we answered your call. I thank you for that life-giving power or life-saving power, Lord, and I also thank you for the life-giving power that your word gives us every single day as we continue to open it up and, and read from it and to, to soak it into our lives and, and to hear its truths and to know them for ourselves, to put them into practice, Lord, to take you at your word. Thank you that we can do this. I ask that we not take, as we are gathered here right now, this time lightly, that what we hear today might mean something to us. That in our lives, if it is comfort we need, Lord, I pray that you will pour out comfort. And Lord, if it's conviction that we need, I pray that you'll pour that out too. But however your spirit falls on us, however it may come that we receive this word today, Lord, may your people just simply respond as you call us to respond. And Lord, as Paul has said many times, encourage one another with these words. Lord, let us be encouraged by your word today as we open it up, that we might rejoice in you, that we might also teach others how to rejoice in you as well. I thank you for all of your many blessings, but none more than Jesus who makes all of this possible. And so it's in his name we pray, amen. If you would, please open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have your Bible, that's quite all right. You can open a pew Bible. You can open the bulletin. The scripture is in there. It'll also be on the screen for you if you'd like to follow along there. 
I uh, would simply like to mention that we are starting this new series this morning after finishing our last series, Hope Again, where we saw from the book of 1 Peter that there can be new hope despite some of the hardships and the trials that we've been through, both caused to us just simply by living in the world, but also hope again because of the things that we have caused to come upon ourselves, that we can have new and fresh hope in Jesus Christ no matter what it is that that we come up against. If we go at it with His help and His guidance and His direction, we can surely overcome. For Jesus says, I've already overcome the world. And because He overcomes, we can too. So now that we are overcomers, now that we have hope, we need to rejoice in the Lord. And that is what this series is all about. That we can rejoice in this world. Because sometimes we look around and it's hard to rejoice, isn't it? It can be a little bit difficult, not only with what's just going on in the larger world, though that's scary enough. You don't turn on the TV or read newspaper. You, you, know, you live in kind of a confined space, and you may think, oh, well, it's not as bad. There are still things in life that even if we aren't open to the media outlets and we don't, we don't receive them, our life can be hard enough sometimes. So it, it can be hard to rejoice, but... But God has made it so that no matter what we are going through, we can rejoice. And that is what Paul focuses in on in these last two chapters of the book of Philippians. And I want to start with chapter 3 this morning, beginning in verse 1. This is what the Scripture says. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mulators of the flesh. For it is uh, we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a heresy, as, uh, or excuse me, a, a, a Hebrew. I read the two lines together, but skipped one. That's how you get heresy. That's not what this passage is talking about. <laughs> uh, but again, he says he's of the people of Israel, uh, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. I love this passage. I've been looking forward to this series for quite some time, and it made me think of this 
this segment from a book called All In by Pastor Mark Batterson where he told this story. On February 19, 1519, the Spanish explorer Hernan Cortez set sail for Mexico with an entourage of 11 ships, 13 horses, 110 sailors, and 553 soldiers. However, the indigenous population upon his arrival was approximately 5 million. From a purely mathematical standpoint, the odds were stacked against him by a ratio of 7,541 to 1. Two previous expeditions had failed to establish a settlement in the New World. Yet Cortez conquered much of the South American continent. What Cortez is reported to have done after landing is an epic tale of mythical proportions. He issued an order that turned his mission into an all-or-nothing proposition. Burn the ships. Burn the ships. And as his crew watched their fleet of ships burn and sink, they came to terms with the fact that retreat was not an option. I think this bit of history that uh, Batterson writes about in his book uh, is insightful to say the least. But to me, more than anything else, I need to confess and say that I think it's a little bit scary. I mean, when I, when I read this for the very first time, it, it startled me a, a little bit. And looking first at just the odds of, of 7,541 indigenous people to one Spaniard settler, I don't know that I could honestly say that I could have given the command to burn the ships. I would keep them ready. I know that they didn't have engines back then, but if they did, they'd have been running all the time. Because I don't think that I could have honestly said that we are not going to have an escape plan. But yet, to Cortez, this was the only option. But to be honest, I don't even know that I'd have wanted to have left port. I don't think I would have ever, even in my heart, wanted to set sail knowing what was lying against me and knowing that two other expeditions before me had failed. It would have been very, 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 and then some very difficult to leave everything I know in total abandon for this something better. This something better. In life, there is a plan A and a plan B. Now, plan A is a direction that we want to go and that we need to go. But then there's plan B, and it's often the exact opposite of plan A. Plan A means going forward. It means innovation. And plan B means retreat and a return to what was going on before because plan A got too risky, too costly, 
or too difficult. Mark Batterson says that that's why most people are living their plan B. That's why most people are living their plan B. They don't burn their ships. Plan A people don't have a plan B. It's plan A or bust. They would rather crash and burn going after their God-ordained dreams than succeed at something else. I believe that this is the central idea behind Paul's words in verse 7 that we've read. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider as loss for the sake of Christ. Let me read that one more time and let's let it sink in for just a moment. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Paul wrote these words to a group of believers who had the world at their disposal, living in an extremely progressive culture that if they wanted it, they could have it. And at one time when they were apart from Christ, they had the world at their disposal and it wouldn't have been hard for them to reach back in to where they were before. In fact, the Philippian church was started by three central people. It was started by a highly affluent and wealthy clothing merchant in that day, one of the most wealthy people who would have been living in that time apart from, apart from someone in government themselves. Then you have a, a jailer who had a military background going from place to place, and I don't have to describe the options and opportunities that were available to someone in those positions if they would like to take it, especially in those times. But then there's a third person who was a demon-possessed slave girl. Again, do you see how easy it would have been for them to reach back into their formal way of living? How easy it would have been for them to retreat to what they, to what they knew before? to go back to the pleasures of sin or to, to fall back into once was what, was, what was a familiar way of living that, that was comfortable. But you know how to describe them. Doesn't it sound familiar? Describing them, that, doesn't it sound familiar? Well, it probably sounds familiar to you like it, like it did to me because it's probably, most likely, the exact same temptation that you and I feel. Probably pretty regularly. To go back to something that was comfortable. To something that was familiar. That it wouldn't take much for me to reach back in and return to where I was. It's not just a problem the Philippian church faced. It's a problem and a struggle is really what it is that even we still face today. But God would so have it that we would leave our life of sin in the dust behind us as we come to Christ. And He wants this from us because He knows that even the best things that we would leave behind in this world are nothing absolutely nothing compared to what He has in store for us in our future with Him. 
See, this is, this is the gift of grace that God offers all of us to leave our past in the past and to walk with Him into what lies beyond the door that only He can open for us. This is what, this is what He desires. I want you for just a moment to listen to a passage from Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, and I'd like to ask Danielle if you'll follow along with me, please. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 3, and reading through verse 10. Listen to these words. All of us, all of us also lived among them at one time. These were disobedient people. Paul says, all of us lived among these disobedient people at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us through Jesus Christ. Did you get that all this comes by Jesus? This redundant nature of Paul is to remind us that these things that we've received only come through Jesus and His grace, as he says in verse 8, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Church, what a wonderful joy it is to know that despite our depraved human nature, God in His great love for us loved us just because He wanted to love us. God had no reason for loving us other than the fact that He just wanted to love us. Isn't that wonderful? To be loved just because of love. It's hard to understand that sometimes, isn't it? What it means to be loved just because somebody wants to, to love you. And especially when there was no condition. God loves us despite of who we are. Despite of what we've done. Despite of how sinful we may think of ourselves or other people may think of ourselves. God loved us so much that He made a way for us through His mercy to receive grace for our sins by Jesus Christ. What an incomparable gift, as Paul says. But yet this grace, this gift, is not truly appreciated and unlocked if we do not seek transformation. That's plan A. This gift of grace and mercy through Jesus Christ is not truly appreciated until we unlock our desire 
to make transformation in Christ Jesus first. To thank Him for what He's done and live to serve Him because of what He's done. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He's done. Make this our plan A over plan B, which is continuing to gratify the cravings of the flesh. You see, church, God would have it that we, was, we would live as the redeemed because we are the redeemed. Again, to live as the redeemed because we are the redeemed, because we have been redeemed. To live for Jesus because of what Jesus has done. Church, this is what Paul said in the book of Galatians chapter 5 and verse 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified to the flesh with all its passions and with all its desires. And since we live with the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. This is what we are called to. But I'm going to admit and be perfectly honest with you in a moment of clarity that this is hard to live up to. It is difficult to live in step with the Spirit when we have the world and the cravings of our flesh tugging at us every single day. It is hard. But church, I want to tell you that it is not impossible. For all things are possible for those who believe and trust in Jesus Christ. The Scriptures tell us that. It may be hard to keep in step with the Spirit, but it's not impossible. And it is a must for us to reach our full potential in Christ. Keeping in step with His Spirit, living as the redeemed, is a must for us to reach our full potential in Jesus Christ. But it's at this point, a question is raised that I need to ask you and I need to ask me, is keeping in step with the Spirit better? In your heart and mind, in your eyes and my eyes, is keeping in step with the Spirit better? Is following Jesus better than my old life? For some, you may need to ask this question. This might be where you are this morning. Is Jesus following Jesus better than, well, I didn't change it, better than my life now. For some of us, following Jesus Christ, we need to ask, is following Jesus better than my old life? For some today, we might need to ask, is following Jesus better than my life now? Is it better than my current life? Well, if you were to ask the Apostle Paul this question, you would find this answer. Oh, I did have it. I just didn't click it. Isn't technology great? Shortchanged myself. Don't let us miss the point. Is Jesus better than our old life? Is he better than our current life? If you ask the Apostle Paul, this is what you'll hear in the passage that we have read. My brothers... And sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. He's saying, if I have to say this over 
and over and over and over again. I will. You need to rejoice in the Lord. And he says that rejoicing in the Lord, this reminder, it is a safeguard for you. Telling you over and over and over again in Paul's mind reminds us that we can rejoice in the Lord despite whatever may be going on in our life. For Paul, he found a way to rejoice despite loss in his life. Now, we spent some time in our last series talking about loss in this world, talking about loss of friends and loved ones. We, we did that in, in our series also on frustrated faith. Why would God allow this to happen to me? Church, this is not the kind of loss that Paul is talking about this morning. Paul is talking about the loss of our old way of living. The loss of sinful habits and sinful desires. The loss of things that keep us from God. Paul found a way to rejoice in the Lord despite his loss of the things of the world. And he's telling them, if you rejoice in the Lord despite the things that you have lost, it is a safeguard for you. Continuing to rejoice in the name of Jesus will keep you following intently after him. And Paul knows that probably better than most people, at least he says he does. And I believe him because it's in the Bible. You know, he says, I have more confidence than anyone. Okay, tell us, Paul, what things are, are you more confident in? He, he, he was a puffed up man at one time. He had a lot that, that he could have been proud, proud of. Not only did he have a bunch of plaques and trophies hanging up all over his house and on his mantle, they were over at his mama's house on his mantle in his 30s and 40s. And they're still sitting there, things that Paul had done, how proud he was of himself. This is, this is how he felt about himself. He, he had things that he felt good about better than, than most people. In verses 4 through 6, he lays out a few of these things. He was a powerful man before he lost himself to find Jesus. He was an extremely powerful man. He was a Pharisee. He was of the religious elite. He was also a Jew. The Jews felt like at that time, many of them, that they were better than everybody else because God picked them and he didn't pick the Gentiles. It was them versus the Gentiles. Gentiles versus them. And they felt that they were better. And Paul, in his mind, he knew that. He wouldn't even associate with a Gentile, yet Jesus called him to minister to who? Gentiles. Jesus told Ananias, he is going to be my witness to the Gentiles. At one time, Paul couldn't even stand them. He felt like he was much better than them. And not only was he a Jew, but he was of a desirable and notable tribe among the tribe of Benjamin. He felt good about himself. Great people had come from that tribe. And above all these things, he says, I followed the law to the letter. I did everything those 613 laws plus the Ten Commandments said to do. I did it all. And I did it well in his mind. The person that Paul liked to talk the most about was Paul. The most anybody you'd ever hear talking about Paul in the days when he was Saul was Saul. But now that Paul has left Saul in the dust, something's changed. At one time, he held so fast to the law that he would kill anybody he felt wasn't doing what they ought to do. 
to stay in step with the law, killing Christians. What changed? What changed? One word. And this one word is still changing people today. Say it. Oh, come on. One more time. Say it like you mean it. Jesus. Jesus Christ is still changing people today. He changed a murderer, somebody who was killing Christians, into undeniably probably one of the greatest Christians who has ever lived to serve the Lord. He changed him from who he was to who God saw him that he could be. And he lived every day to serve because of one primary reason. He was grateful. He rejoiced in the Lord because he was thankful that God took who he was, which was a terrible, disastrous, dastardly human being, and made him someone who cares about everyone, who no longer cared about himself. So much so that he wrote this book from prison. Chained most likely in a contorted and tortured position. Just to encourage a few people to stay strong because Jesus loves them. To stay strong because the world needs to know the love of God that he has found. That he is rejoicing in the Lord even in terrible circumstances. Folks, I have never been in that low a position as Paul was in his life. I dare say, just assuming, that you have not been there either. Chained for the cause of Christ. If Paul can rejoice in even that, surely, despite the things we lose and the things that we say may not be fair that the rest of the world is doing that we don't get to do, these things that are not of God yet we want to do so badly that we have to leave behind because we know that they're disastrous to our Christian life, we complain, we whine, we say with the psalmist, why can't we be like the rest of the world? Why do, they, why do I have trouble and they don't? We've got to stop that. Because if we stop seeing what we have lost and seeing what we've gained in Jesus Christ, we will, like Paul, rejoice in the Lord. He says again, rejoice. I'm going to say it over and over and over and over again to you so that it might safeguard your soul. Rejoice in the Lord despite whatever is going on. Church, Paul burnt his ship. There was no going back. There was no plan B for Paul. We see that most evidenced in this verse. What is more, I consider everything loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, as the King James says. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ. Everything in his life before he knew Jesus, he now considers it as loss. Everything that he gained, everything that he worked for, it was not of God. So it's garbage. Do we say that of all the sinful things in our life? Of the pride, of the arrogance, of the things that puff us up like Paul or even the things that drag us down and tear us away from God. Can we say that these things are garbage to us? 
that they are rubbish compared to where we now stand in Christ. And as the beginning of verse 9 says, and now being found in Him. Can we say that? Can we say that? In verse 9, Paul confessed that he no longer wanted to be found in himself, but that he wanted to be found in Christ. In, in this verse, Paul says that he not only wants Christ. He wants Christ. He wants Him bad. But he doesn't only want Christ to, to possess Him Himself. No, He wants to be Christ. He wants Christ to possess Him. He doesn't want to just have Jesus. He can pull out whenever He wants to. He wants to be Jesus. He wants Jesus to be Him. He wants Christ to be the first person that people see when they encounter Him. You know, on our headstone sometimes you, you think, you know, here lied a wonderful man, here lied a father, here lied a family man, here lied a powerful person, here lied a powerful woman, here lied a successful, a successful woman, here lied a successful man. You, you see these things sometimes written on there. I think the goal should be at the end of our life, the one last thing that should be written was somebody mistake me for Jesus one time. I think that should be the goal of our life that at least one time in our life somebody mistake me for Jesus. That I didn't act like myself. That I started acting like Him. Church, Paul wanted so bad for people to see Jesus instead of Him. He wanted not His own goodness, His own strength, His own accomplishment, His own religiousness to hold Him up, because he knew that it would fall short. Instead, he didn't want to stand on his past. He wanted to stand on God's future. He wanted to stand on everything that Christ had to offer. He wanted to feast at the buffet of the Lord every single day to take in as much Jesus as he could because he knew that he would find everything he needed in Jesus. Jesus held Paul up. Jesus held up the Philippian church. And Jesus will hold us up too because this righteousness comes from God on the basis of faith. Our own goodness won't save us, but Jesus, His goodness, His mercy, His suffering, that and that alone will save us. His righteousness on the basis of faith. Free to all who will believe and who will accept Him. And that's it. That's the requirement. Just believe and accept Jesus Christ. Learn how to be transformed. To leave the past in the past. But it's going to be hard. In a wonderful book called The Mind of Christ, uh, Dennis Kenlaw wrote these words. Do you feel that there is a tug of war going on within you? Do you find yourself hesitating to do what God is calling you to do? Because you feel like there might be a more pleasant or more socially acceptable alternative. Do you feel guilty because you hold back from giving yourself fully to the Lord? 
The divided heart is an agonizing state to live in. It's impossible for a person to stay there long. You will choose either God's way or the world's way. I've observed that the divided heart is a common experience among Christians. However, it is not the way the New Testament calls us to live. Romans 8 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and to deal with sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, so that the just requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul says the requirements of God's law can be fulfilled in the likes of you and me. He says the power of God can bring us to the point that we can please God Himself. But we can only please God through Jesus. Amen? We can only please God when we come to accept His grace offered through Jesus that we might escape condemnation and then live as those who have been made free. Not living as those who are still captive. Still living as those who are in prison. No, living as those who have been made free. Church, our sin condemns us to death. But Christ raises us through His suffering and His resurrection. Not because of anything we've done, but for what He has already done Himself. And we live grateful for it. That means at times burning our ships. Stop acting as if plan B is still an option. But if our new course is Jesus, if we claim Him and we accept Him, since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Would you pray with me? Father, I come right now thanking you for Jesus Christ. Thanking you for what he's done. For his free offer of grace that is available to whosoever will call upon his name. Lord, for those who are willing to be baptized into his death, burial, but Lord, raised in His resurrection, newness of life fills our being. Lord, even in that, we still seek transformation every day. Not to be transformed by the ways of the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to give ourselves over to this Jesus that we have claimed. Oh Lord, help us with that. Lord, help us to be people who don't just say this is what we should do, who sometimes lie about what we do do, but Lord, to do what you've said to do. 
be saved by grace through faith. That we stand in every day. Fully appreciative of Jesus. And what he's done. And taking every opportunity to share it with somebody else who needs to hear it. Lord, I pray for those who need to hear this today. To hear your, your gospel. Lord, it's been, it's been presented. Lord, use your spirit now to, to move upon those who don't know Jesus. To make him the one most important thing in their life. For the very first time. And for those of us, Lord, who have been serving Christ. Help us to seek transformation. To burn the ships. And to place Jesus as that one most important thing in our life again. Help us, Lord, as we go along our way. To rejoice despite the things that we think that we have lost in the world. Because what we gained in Christ was so much better. Help us. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Today, what do you need to do so that you might rejoice? Today, what do you need to do so that you might rejoice? What might you have to lose today to consider loss for the sake of Christ so that you might rejoice in the Lord? What ships need to be burned? Maybe your old ways. Maybe there's some negative and harmful things in your life. Maybe your very life up until this point and the ways that you've acted and, and who you are and who you've been, if you're ashamed of them, maybe your life just needs to be totally buried in Jesus Christ. I just want to encourage you to bury it all, whatever it might be, not just some of it, but all of it. Bury it in Jesus Christ so that you might raise and walk in newness of life. Put the old man, put the old woman to death that you might live fully in the grace of Jesus Christ. But I need to tell you that grace cannot be experienced where sin reigns supreme. Church, I, I want to tell you this again. Grace cannot be experienced where sin reigns supreme. We cannot know Christ where sin dwells without any hindrance or worry of it going anywhere. Sin must be submitted to grace. Listen to these words from Romans chapter 4. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Church, I don't mean to overuse this, but we've got to bury the old ships. We've got to burn the old ships. We've got to put these old ways to the side so that Christ may be fully revealed in us. That we might experience His fullness and that the world might at one time mistake us for Jesus because they're the only way. We're the only way.
that they are going to see Him. So church, whose old life needs to die? Whose ships need to be burned? What plan B needs to lend way to plan A? Whose old life needs to be buried and baptized with Jesus Christ so that you might walk in newness of life? Who needs to be raised in Jesus today? I offer that invitation to anyone who accepts it as we stand and we sing.